Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in with us today. We have a very special message that involves both of us today, but before we get into that, my name is Pastor Alex DeRosa. I'm the pastor of student ministries here at New Life, and here is... I'm Pastor Mark, and I'm the discipleship pastor. And we are in part three of a series called New Beginnings Live, Work, Play. And the action point for that series is this. I will share Jesus everywhere I live, work, and play. And so already we've dove into those first two, living and working, and today we're talking about playing. And the reason that we're up here together is because me and Mark actually met through play. This was years ago at a summer camp called Suncrest. We were in high school or the beginning of high school, and I walked into a dining hall where students were playing Risk. I didn't know any of these kids. They weren't from my small, my youth group, and but I walked over, and I just wanted to play a board game, so I sat down. Now, fun fact, I don't really care about Risk at all. I just wanted to play, and across the table, I met this guy named Robert Martin, call him Marty, and he didn't really care either, so we had a blast goofing off during this game while Mark took it very seriously, but it was the first time we got to know each other. If you play Risk, you know that you take it very seriously, and there's no other way to, there's absolutely no other way to play the game. Um, so mine and Alex's relationship started over gaming, but gaming has been a persistent part of our relationship throughout the entire relationship. It's been one of those things, although Alex and I are close friends, um, and in many ways, like brothers, gaming has been one of the things that has helped, helped solidify those relationships. In fact, some of the only relationships that we've kept from high school are relationships that we had while playing games. And that has taken a lot of different shapes throughout the years. It may have started around a board game at a summer camp, um, but that has looked different at different stages in our lives. But the point is, is that board games and games in general are incredible ways to build and establish relationships. They help you break down boundaries with other people. And, and I think even, if, I'm not an athlete, but even if you played football or baseball or basketball, you understand that through games, uh, boundaries are broken and people can build relationships. And you actually work your way past a lot of the same, a lot of the trust issues and a lot of the, uh, a lot of the difficulties that go along with establishing or starting a new relationship. Games are a fantastic way. And the places that we play are fantastic places to establish and build relationships with people who are far from God. And it may, maybe my whole point in all of that is that games are a great way to be and to live missionally in every aspect of our lives. Yeah, and because of that, Mark and I have led hundreds of games together through youth ministry events and through youth ministry working together on staff here at New Life. Even while we were youth pastors at different churches, we would gather together yearly at a retreat called Rebloom and ran a big game called Humans vs. Zombies because we believe that there is this power when it, when it comes to playing together in games. We believe it so much that it's our take-home point. It's the one point that this whole message is around, and it's simply this, that play breaks down barriers and builds relationships. And so we wanted to infuse this idea of play through the ministry that we led so that people can really get to know each other on a deeper level sometimes by playing. So what I thought would be fun is maybe we could talk about some of the games that, that we've led before. And Mark is one of the best, all-time best game leaders because he's going to have fun when he's on stage. And when he's having fun, he's going to help other people have fun. And he's going to do whatever it takes to help people have fun, whether that's wearing like a cut-off belly shirt or whether it's trying to, to 
pretend to throw up or actually want to throw up during a gross eating competition. It's just going to make people laugh, and it's great. So I thought it would be cool if I could hear from Mark. Uh, we could hear from Mark some fun games that you've done or maybe even bad games that you've led. We've definitely led a few bad games uh, over the years, and, uh, and we've, we've, we've played a lot of different games. It's, it's interesting because games were actually some of my least favorite parts of youth ministry initially, and uh, I remember way back when, when we first started youth group, we played a game called Rubber Chicken Football, which was basically like, uh, it was basically ultimate Frisbee. Without a Frisbee, you played with a rubber chicken in buckets instead, and what it did is it gave children or kids, students who didn't uh, weren't athletically gifted the opportunity to play a game where they felt like they could be on par and break down barriers with other kids. And one of the best parts about games whenever it came to ministry was it put people in situations they would typically never, ever put themselves in. And that is probably one of the best part about games. And whether that's an upfront game where I'm making kids roll three dice, I'm throwing three things in a blender and just blending tuna fish, spicy tuna fish up with heavy cream and jello, and then having a kid drink it, or uh, or we're, we're playing some other gross game where they're like whether we're playing ice cream eating relay where they run from one place to the next and we build an ice cream a Sunday inside their mouth as they go from one station to the next. We've played a lot of different games, but I think one of the games that really shines uh, that was called Gross Carpet Squares, which was literally this game because we had donated some carpet squares that were used. They were disgusting. And we had kids form teams, and they had to get their team of like 15 or 20 kids the whole way across a parking lot or here in the church sanctuary. Um, and they had to get from point A, the worship center, from point A to point B without anybody coming off of any of the carpet squares. And so they had to be portion of these really awkward scenarios where, you know, a middle school boy and a, and a high schooler, maybe they would never talk to one another or touch one another. And now they're crammed together and putting each other on each other's shoulders, trying to get across the floor. And what putting people in awkward situations in games does is it helps build bonds. And bonds are really important to our lives. And I know that can kind of seem silly, like games aren't really a ministry thing, or they're not really important, or you just play games to let high schoolers have fun. And, and in part, that's true. I like playing games, and I like having fun during them. But what's more important is that games break down boundaries that people naturally put up. People who would never talk to one another are forced to work together. And it's in a completely non-threatening way, where you put your trust in somebody during a game. And it allows you to begin establishing and building building a trusting relationship with somebody when the costs and the, the risks are really, really low. If you lose this game of crab soccer, you lose this game of crab soccer. It's not really a big deal. But when you learn that you can trust somebody whenever you're playing crab soccer, then perhaps you learn that you can trust them in conversation during small group. Perhaps you learn, maybe I can actually go to this person and trust this person with what's going on in my day-to-day -day life. Games have a way of breaking down relationships so that you can get to one another and start establishing and building trust without ever really risking anything. And that's one of the reasons that games have been so powerful in my life and in Alex's life and in our ministries. They do work, and they're not for everybody, but for many people, the places that we play are incredible opportunities to break down barriers and to connect with people. Yeah, and not only do we appreciate play and we think that students like play, we also believe that God's word affirms play. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says this, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, 
a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance. Now, we don't always talk about those last couple ones, a time to laugh and a time to dance, but God's word is saying there is time for that. There is time for just to to enjoy being with other people and to, to laugh and to dance and to have fun. In the book of Zechariah, the prophet uses this idea of play to describe a time of joy and peace. He says, And now the Lord says, I am returning to Mount Zion, and I will live in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. The mountain of the Lord of heaven's armies will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Once again, old men and women will walk Jerusalem streets with their canes and will sit together in the city squares. And the streets of the cities will be filled with boys and girls at play. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. All this may seem impossible to you now, a small remnant of God's people. But is it impossible for me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I love that, talking about the joy that comes out of watching children at play. But we don't have to just relegate that to when we were children. We can play and enjoy ourselves as adults. And Jesus, when he was on this earth, he did go and he taught often. But a lot of times I think we can trick ourselves into thinking that's all he did on this earth, that he just went and taught and he taught and taught. But what he was about was living life with people, some that believed in him and some that didn't. And there's a story in John chapter 2 of him being invited to a wedding. And I wanted to read it for you today. It says this, the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has yet to come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. The miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. Jesus didn't say during that time, listen, Jesus didn't say this is my blood, which is given to you. Later on in God's word, he does say that when he's sitting at a table with his disciples and he's sharing wine, he says, this is my blood. But in this moment, he doesn't. And I think that's important for us to understand that he was invited with his, with his disciples. It doesn't say that he was invited to do the ceremony. He was invited to enjoy the presence of other people. And that was his goal. He just went and he lived life with others. And I believe somewhere along the way, that we've started to think of church simply as the building that it is. But I believe that Jesus didn't want us to think about church simply as just a place where we come and worship on Sundays. He wanted it to be a movement where we share Jesus in every avenue of our life with others. Because believing in Jesus and living this out isn't just about attending something, it's about living it in every aspect of our lives. And somewhere along the way, we sort of messed that up and we missed it. 
And actually, Pastor Alex and I had a chance to take a church history course, two of them together this past year, as we look at what happened from the beginning of the church uh, with many of the apostles and the disciples to where we are today. The first church, if we looked at it today, probably wouldn't seem like much of a church. Sure, they showed up and they worshiped together. They gathered at the temple courts. They had teachings together. They met in each other's homes. And in some ways, there are pieces of what the first church was that exists in the church of today. But the first church was a lot more like a movement than it was an organization. It was a lot more organic than it was corporate. The first church really genuinely just wanted to follow Jesus. There weren't any ulterior motives. There weren't any benefits to following Jesus. Nobody showed up on Sunday morning and just went through the motions because being a Christian meant that you could likely be murdered and nobody shows up and goes through motions if doing the motions means that you end up getting murdered. In fact, the gathering was an expression of the faith community, but the gathering wasn't all that there was about the faith community. The first church was not about an hour that people spent on the weekends. The first church didn't compartmentalize their following of Jesus. They followed Jesus in every aspect of their lives. It wasn't a part-time job. It totally and completely recalibrated every aspect of their life, including the way that they played, including the way that they had recreation, including the way that they spent time with friends and the things that they did for fun. They were followers of Jesus in every aspect of their life, but then something happened when the church became legalized. You see, the church became legalized by the Roman emperor, and at first it was a blessing. The church no longer was receiving persecution. Christians were no longer being murdered, and the church flourished. But over time, the Roman empire began to crumble. Now, the Roman empire was vast. It had conquered pretty much all of the known world at the time, and at the fringes of their empire, and even closer to the home base in Rome, there began to become problems. As the emperors began getting a weakened hold on the rest of the Roman Empire, um, they began looking for new ways in order to regain and keep control over the crumbling areas that they had previously taken. In fact, the Roman legions no longer were able to threaten violence on the people that they had conquered. And so as the empire began to crumble, Christianity didn't just become legalized, it quickly became the state religion. You see, the Roman Empire instituted an imperial faith, and in the imperial faith, you now had to be a Christian. The Roman Empire could no longer threaten violence with the Roman legions to keep people in the empire, so they took control of the church and threatened damnation instead. The church, instead of being a movement that was started by Jesus of people who followed Jesus, quickly became a tool in the hand of the emperor to keep the Roman Empire together. The, the movement started by Jesus soon didn't look anything like it, and eventually following Jesus was boiled down to a list of religious obligations, not unlike the same religious obligations that people paid to Caesar just a generation before. Whenever the Roman Empire would conquer a people, they were allowed to serve their gods, but they also had to pay tribute and burn incense to Caesar. They had to do the smallest religious obligation. They reached the least common denominator. It was no longer being, they were no longer being threatened with murder if they were Christians. They were being threatened to be killed if they were not 
Christians. Soon it became hard to tell the difference between the people who were genuinely following Jesus and those who were fulfilling the least amount of obligation, the least religious obligation in order to not be persecuted by the Roman Empire. Somewhere along the way, people intentionally moved fun out of church, not just out of church, but people intentionally moved fun out of being part of being a believer. They intentionally moved fun out of what it meant to follow Jesus. Soon we were able to take what it meant to be a believer and put it in a compartment in our brain and allow it to be religious obligation. And for 1,500 years that was the case. And today we know many people who continue to pay their least their, their, their smallest amount of religious obligation that's required of them, they show up at church on the weekends. There was no longer a need for Jesus and being a follower of Jesus to dominate every aspect of your life. You just needed to be a little bit religious. And that's what happened in the church. The problem is, is that when Jesus came into your life, comes into your life, he invades every aspect of your life. And the first church knew this. It's not just about where you spend Sunday morning or if you come to church here on Saturday night, where you spend Saturday night. It's about Jesus leading in every aspect of your life, including the things that you enjoy and the ways in which you play. Yeah, I first learned this when I was in Mexico in high school. It was after my junior year, and we went to Metamorphs on a missions trip. And the first day, I got to come up and share my testimony, spoke in front of a church, and I thought, all right, this is ministry. This is what we're supposed to do. And then the next day, they told us to go to a park. And so they brought us to this park, and there was kids from various ages, some younger, some older, that were just hanging out. They were Mexicans, and I was supposed to go and minister to them. And so I started praying, like, God, give me the supernatural ability to be able to speak the same language. Give me the supernatural ability to speak Spanish so that I can minister to these kids that are here. And it didn't happen. Like, I didn't just start speaking, and I was like, oh, wow, that was pretty cool. Instead, what happened is a kid came over with a soccer ball. Now, I never really played soccer growing up. I, I, I like basketball a lot. I just never got into soccer. But they, they came over, and I just, like, started playing. And it, start, it dawned on me that, oh, wow, okay, maybe I can minister through this game right here. And there's this kid that taught me how to kick a soccer ball behind my back, over my head. It was pretty cool. But we started, yeah. Fancy. It's fancy. It was very fancy. fancy. I can't do it today. I tried to show off to Ezra the other day, my son, by doing it, and I cannot do it anymore. But I remember that day I could, and it was really great. And then we were invited to a correctional facility for young men that had gotten in trouble. And when we got there, they asked us to play soccer. They didn't ask us to, to speak a, a message or anything. They asked us just to play soccer. And so we were like, I I guess we will. That's what we're here for, right? So we played against this team, and they beat us. They, they only beat us by one, which was kind of incredible because we were, we were very awful. Maybe they were taking it uh, nice on us. But I walked away from that experience being like, ministry isn't just the words. It's the actions that we do. And we were able to show the love of Jesus through this play. A couple years ago, New Life students, we, we took our students and leaders to Myanmar. And when we went there, we went to an orphanage that had 200 kids in it. And for three days, we were asked just to build relationships. Now, this felt daunting when we showed up because, again, we don't speak Burmese, so we didn't really know what to do to fill our time. But pretty soon, it became evident that these 200 kids who only had 12 full-time staff just needed someone to play with. They just needed to hear that someone was laughing alongside them. They just needed to see the love of Jesus through the way that we did jump rope and we threw frisbees and we sweat a whole mess. And also, they just wanted to hear us sing our songs and they sang songs to us. It was incredible the way that 
these lives were touched. And by the last day, we were mourning how we had to leave and break these relationships that didn't form because of language, that just formed because of play. The most recent experience of, of me being able to share the love of Jesus with people through play is through board games. Now, the last time I spoke, I shared a little bit about this. I, I felt the calling on my heart to sell some board games and an auction to help support that Yangon Myanmar orphanage. And so I put like 60 games up for auction and people started bidding on them. But I told people up front, this is not for me. I'm not taking any of the money. All the money is going to go to Southeast Asia Prayer Center. And it's going to go because I feel God is calling me to minister to this orphanage. And so I was able to share Jesus with people. And then people partnered. People that weren't Christians said, hey, I want to join this mission. I want to help out. And they had to go to the SEAPC website to donate directly. And they got to learn about the mission there and what they're doing in that orphanage. And it was incredible to be able to share the good news of Jesus through this avenue of play. It doesn't just happen when we speak to people on Sunday mornings at church. It happens in our everyday life, everywhere we go. And I know that Mark has some really incredible stories about how he's been able to to experience this through the world of play. Sure. You know, interesting, when you go to a third world country, you come back with some similar stories with different people. We, uh, we spent in Uganda a, a day with a couple hundred children, and we just bought balloons, and that's all that we needed to play, and that allowed us to build bonds mm. with those children. When we were um, in another country um, that I'm not supposed to say the name of, uh, I brought a couple of board games with me, and those board games allowed us to break a language barrier. They would actually had Spanish rules in it, so they read the Spanish rules, we read the English rules, and we played the game with them and had a great time, and they kept coming back. The same people kept coming back. Every opportunity we had, every break, boom, let's play the game, boom, let's play the game. It made such an impact. You know, for me, my life has been changed uh, when it comes to the area of play radically in the last year. Um, I've always been a gamer. I don't think there's any been any allusion to that. Uh, I've always been really open about that in video games, tabletop games specifically. And about a year ago, I started a podcast discussing uh, a video game. And I did it as a creative outlet. It was just something fun to do. But God began opening doors. And pretty soon after starting that podcast, I was praying a little bit. And God made it clear to me that he didn't just make me to love him but unique to me was also my ability to love games and to love gamers. And that there was a lot of people out there in the world that I could build connections with over video games who were very, very far from Jesus. Now, previously, I had always viewed my love for video games as sort of in opposition to my faith. It was like I was wasting my time playing video games when I could be reading my Bible. And not that I don't read my Bible, but I was wasting my time playing video games when I could be doing something religious. And then I began just offering to pray for people who came on the podcast, and God began answering those prayers. People got pregnant who couldn't get pregnant. People got jobs who couldn't get jobs. People returned to their faith for the first time. I talked to a young man from a, a state, several states away from us, uh, as, as he was about to become a father and didn't know what to do, and he's calling me uh, as, as his wife-to-be is in labor, and I'm praying with him over the phone. Just this past week, I got the opportunity to have have a conversation with a couple from just outside of London, a young man who was dealing with some difficult things from northern Ontario. I got to talk to a guy from New Jersey from a completely different faith than mine. I got to talk to a guy from Washington State and then a guy from outside of Los Angeles. And I've recently been talking consistently with a guy from the Czech Republic who is far from God and doesn't know God. Most of his country are atheists, and he's amongst that group, and we're beginning to open up and talk about faith. Because of the internet and because of gaming, we've made connections now 
all across the world that's allowed us to draw people towards Jesus. And we're seeing prayers answered. I'm praying for people and I'm seeing as the Holy Spirit comes down where they are, sometimes thousands of miles away from me in New Zealand. Uh, It's been incredible to see what God will do. But here's the reality. God is probably not going to start working through the places that you play and the hobbies that you have if you're not first willing to let him. But I do know this, that once you're willing to let him, the floodgates can be opened up. What you do, other people do. What you love, other people love. And it gives you an opportunity, instead of building fences to keep people away like the church has notoriously done, it gives you the opportunity to build bridges so that people can cross and get to know Jesus. If you love to hunt and you're a sportsman, guess what? There are lots of people who love to hunt who are far from Jesus. If you love dirt racing, there's going to be people who are far from Jesus at the track this weekend. If you love to game, then there are gamers who are far from God. I love playing games. It's always been a part of my life. I just never thought it was something that God could use. And maybe you have something in your life that you don't think that God can use either. But I'm telling you, he's created you the way that he's created you for a reason. He doesn't want you to just put him in a box that you break out on Sunday morning when you put your church shoes on. He wants to be able to have impact in every aspect of your life. And those who live missional lives search for ways in every aspect of their life that they can draw people to Jesus. Because we believe that not only us, of course, can can impact the world through play, but all of us can do that in different ways and the different avenues that, that you find your hobbies or your interests in. So what we wanted to do is just give some helpful hints, no matter what it is that you do, what, whatever interest it is or where you play, we want to give some helpful, practical steps to help us to improve the way that we share Jesus with others in our everyday lives. And so the first one is this. We share the goodness of Jesus through our actions as well as through our words. Now, you know that there's people in your mind right now that you can picture that are bad winners or bad losers. We actually talked to a friend the other day that said they play games with someone that is both a bad winner and a bad loser. And what do you do with that? You can't even play anything. Can't, can't hang out with him. Huh? No, that, that sounds kind of miserable. But why, the way that we respond to things shows a lot about who we are and what we believe. I remember in high school, I think it was my senior year, I was in a broomball tournament. Mark was in the same broomball tournament and our team won, but we were big jerks about it. We were just like calling people names and uh, bragging about it, being real arrogant during it. I remember thinking I was real cool at the time, but looking back on it, I was like, what a terrible witness. What were we doing? I mean, who cares if we win, if we're going to be acting like idiots after that? Now I've learned from that. So recently I've been playing board games on a website called Board Game Arena. They've always had ways that you could play board game implementations online, but I didn't really find out about it until COVID hit and I was locked inside and I couldn't play as often. So Board Game Arena allows you to play asynchronously. We could take a turn, step away. It'll send you an email. Oh, take another turn. It's great. And so I started to do that just with strangers. And, and while I'm doing that, my username is Pastor A-Rod because my friends often call me A-Rod. And so Pastor A-Rod, because I want people to know right away, like, this is who I am. And so I start talking to them in the chat, telling them a little bit about me, not pushing it down their throats, but just simply saying, hey, this is what I do. I, I work in a church and, and this, is, uh, this is what I believe. And last time I talked to someone, I even shared a little bit about the, the story of Joel and his birth, which I shared in a message. So I linked the message, said, hey, if you ever want to check it out, it's right here. Now, I've never had anyone through these conversations say, 
wow, I'm going to accept Jesus because of it. And I pray that it happens sometime soon, but I have had people just generally talk to me about their life and are able to just respond in a way that shows my love for Jesus. And I've had people just simply thank me for taking the time to converse back and forth. As simple as that may seem, people really have appreciated that. And I believe it all stems from something that Ralph, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Ralph, Ralph Waldo Emerson said once, and it said this, what you, what you do speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. And so your actions, the way that you respond when you lose or you win, or just what you do, people can see Jesus through that. So make sure to be, be thoughtful of that, not just the words you say, but the actions that you take. And in order to do this, guys, our second point is, in order to do this, you have to hang out with people who don't go to church. In fact, Jesus spent time with sinners. If we look here at this passage from the book of Mark, it says, once again, Jesus went outside, out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of a guy with a name that starts with A, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Now, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Many tax collectors and sinners. When the teachers of the law saw who the Pharisees saw, uh, or saw where the, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. Jesus didn't just spend his time with people who was like him. He spent his time with sinners. He lived his life with them. He didn't just spend time with them. He lived life with them. He called them out of the middle of their sin, out of the middle of betraying the Israelite people. He called Matthew a tax collector to come and to follow him. He didn't wait till they were perfect. He didn't wait till they had cleaned up their act. He went to where they were. And if we are going to be followers of Jesus, we should be able to see evidence of that in our own lives. We should be able to look at our lives and be able to point to times when we have eaten with people, not just had casual water cooler conversations at work, when we have eaten with people who do not believe the things that we believe. So do you only spend time with people who are like you? Do you only go to places where you're comfortable, where there are people who are like you? We're supposed to use the way that we play and the things that we do to build bridges, not build fences. Build bridges so that people who don't know Jesus can come to know him. The world is full of opportunities for you to reach people. But hear me, you can't reach people that are far from God if you aren't far enough away from the church. And I don't mean spiritually far from the church, I mean physically away from the church. You can't reach people that are far from God if you are not far enough away from the church building. Number three is pray for opportunities wherever you are. Now, if you're going to pray for opportunities, we have to be ready when those opportunities present themselves. When I say opportunities, I mean opportunities to share the love of Jesus through our actions and through our words. It says this in 1 Peter, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer— Always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. I think this is so challenging, but it's also so instructive. Do this in a gentle and respectful way. Always have an answer for the hope that you have in Jesus. Be ready to respond 
And now sometimes that can feel very daunting, but I'll tell you this, that the Holy Spirit is going to come and partner with us. So pray for opportunities, pray for strength from the Holy Spirit. Recently, my, my buddy Tim Goddess, who is a small group leader here at New Life, he runs a small group for men on Friday mornings that I attend, and it, he's awesome. He also prays for a small group from New Life students every single week, all the students by name. He's, a, he's an incredible guy, but he's not a pastor. He's, he's a guy that works in, in the secular world, but he just loves Jesus. And the other day he shared this story that his pool was closing, and so he asked some people to come over to clean the pool, and after they were done, he felt a tug on his heart from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, hey, ask these guys if they want a cup of coffee to go. So he asked them, and they said, sure, we'd love one. And so he goes, and he didn't find any of his to-go cups, so he just got normal mugs, and he said, all right, well, hey, I just got these mugs. Why don't we sit down, and why don't we chat? So one guy sat down to chat. The other guy walked away. And so Tim had this one guy, and the Holy Spirit again prompted him to say, to, to ask him just about church. And so they just started a casual conversation about if this guy goes to church. And through the conversation, the guy responded to Tim that, yeah, he's been to church before, but he just doesn't feel like he's good enough. He doesn't feel like he's good enough to go to church. He doesn't feel like he's good enough to get into heaven. He doesn't feel like he's good enough for Jesus. And Tim was able to tell him like, hey, you're not, we're not. As people, we're not. But that's why Jesus came, because he's good enough. And he died to forgive us of their sins. So if we just accept him as Lord and as Savior, as owner of our life, and as rescuer from sin and death, then you can be saved too. It doesn't mean, it doesn't matter if you're not good enough because he is good enough. And so this guy accepted Jesus. They prayed together. He accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior in that moment. And I thought that was so powerful. I asked him if I could share that because sometimes if, if we share that from the stage, you think, well, okay, well, aren't you getting paid to do that, uh, to talk to people about Jesus? But Tim is a follower of Jesus who just felt the Holy Spirit in just impress on his heart to talk to someone, and this guy accepted the Lord. So be ready. Just be, be prepared and pray for those opportunities. And when they come, the Holy Spirit will help you out. Our fourth and final point is this, fellowship. It's where you do life together. Fellowship is where you do life together. And this is the area that Jesus wants to invade and help you with through your life. Bible study alone generally doesn't actually change or transform lives. Just hanging out rarely changes or transform lives. Living missionally in every aspect of your life, living as a missionary in every aspect of your life, however, will radically change lives. And maybe more importantly, it will radically change your life. Your life. The places that you go are likely, in the places that you play, are likely more important to God, the way that you use those moments are likely more important to God than the time that you spend here at church. It's good to be able to come here and to worship God, but God also cares about the way that you live in the places that you play. It's in the places that you do life that God wants to see that you're on mission in every aspect. And the way that Mark and I play in our lives and, and well, the way that God uses us will probably look different than the way that God uses you in the areas that you play. But it is important to remember that we all have gifts, abilities, and interests that can be used for the glory of God. Listen, people have always found a way to play. Archaeologists have found board games dating back to like 3,000 BC. That's about the same time wrestling started. People enjoy playing. They're going to find a way to play, whether it's themselves playing or they're watching a sport activity together. People are going to do that. And when they do, our job is to come alongside them and show them the love of Jesus during those times. So practically, we believe that this next step will help us in using our time of play and the things that we enjoy and our hobbies to glorify God 
and to bring his kingdom here. This week, I will demonstrate the love of Jesus to someone through play. This week, this week, I will demonstrate the love of Jesus to someone through play. This week, in my experience, it's not that you don't think this is a good idea. It's that we've never thought about it before. In my experience, it's just the fact that we've never thought about our hobbies as opportunities to build bridges to people who don't know Jesus, but they are. And you're going to find lots of opportunities once you open up this aspect of your life and allow Jesus to reign. But we can't open up these aspects of our life and allow Jesus to reign if we don't first know Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord. And here at New Life, we say that embracing Jesus as Savior and Lord is not easy, but it is as simple as A, B, C. It's funny, when Tim was telling me this story about telling this man about the goodness of God, he said the same thing. He said, it's not simple. Um, it, it's, it's simple, e- simple not but easy. not easy. Sorry, he said that, and then he pointed at me, and he said, got that from New Life. And it really, I mean, that's what we talk about. We say ABC. We say, all you have to do is admit that you need a Savior, that you are a sinner. Admit that God is the one true God, and be believe. Believe in God, and believe that Jesus is one true Son. Believe Him as the Savior of the world and see, confess your need for a Savior and a Lord and confess your sins to Him. And if you do that, He's going to make you a new creation. He's going to forgive you of your sins. He's going to cleanse you and allow you to enter into a relationship here on this earth that will extend to heaven. And if you've never done that, if you've never made that commitment, I want to implore you today, right now, we're going to have a prayer. And I want to ask you, if you've never given your life to Jesus, to do it today. It's not about you being good enough or not good enough. It's about him being good enough. And if you're thinking, maybe I'll just wait till tomorrow, don't wait. Today, unfortunately, I had to do, at the time we're recording this, I had to do a funeral for a 17-year-old who died tragically. We don't know when our last day is coming. So today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, make today that day. So I'm going to pray, and I want to encourage you to just follow along, but to make the words personal in your heart and your minds. So let's pray. Dear God, I pray for anyone in here right now that has never given their life to you as Lord and Savior. I pray that right now they will pray along with me. Dear God, I believe that you are the one true God. I believe that I'm a sinner and that I've sinned against you. Forgive me of my sins. Make me into a new creation. Accept me into your family today, now. Please be my Lord, my owner my Savior, my rescuer from sin and death. pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we go out into the world, as we go out and we play, we live, we work, and we play, let's remember to share Jesus everywhere we go in all avenues of our lives so that we can impact this world for the kingdom of God and we can change eternity forever. Goodbye, guys. Have a great week.